Welcome back to Politically Speaking, Holyrood Magazine's weekly podcast, where you'll get the real rundown of what's going on in Scottish politics. We have the interviews, the gossip, and sometimes the laughs. So please join us. And remember, when anyone tells you they're not interested in politics, you tell them you know a podcast that can help them out with that. And you can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. So enjoy. Hello and welcome to Politically Speaking, Hollywood Magazine's weekly look at the fast-moving world of Scottish politics. I'm Chris Marshall, Deputy Editor of Hollywood, and it's been another busy week. First off, we've had the publication of the long-awaited Hamilton Report, which cleared First Minister Nicola Sturgeon of breaching the ministerial code over her involvement in the Alex Salmond affair. That was quickly followed by the report of the Harassment Committee, which found the Scottish Government's handling of complaints against Salmond had been seriously flawed. The committee also said Sturgeon had misled MSPs in her evidence. On this edition of the podcast, we will bring you an interview with Alex Cole Hamilton, the Lib Dem MSP who was a member of the Harassment Committee. But first I'm joined by journalist Andrew Learmonth to discuss what's been happening. Um, So Andrew, just when we thought we'd got to the end of the week last week with no new developments, there was a surprise announcement on Friday. Absolutely, Chris. Uh, I think it caught us all uh, by surprise. Uh, Alex Salmond, uh, former First Minister, former leader of the SNP, uh, announced uh, an audacious bid to return to Holyrood, and he's not coming alone. So he he basically has launched a new party, or he's created a new party, uh, 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 the Alaba Party. To, to pronounce it. Well done, well uh, done. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. I, uh, I've been uh, watching lots of BBC Alba idents just to try and get the, uh, the pronunciation bang on. Um, so it's a pro-independence party and they're only going to stand on the list. And uh, Salmond, they believes he can, by doing this, they can create a, a what he's calling a, a super majority for independence. That'd be uh, maybe sort of 80 or 90 pro-independence MSPs in Holyrood. Uh, The idea is they're going to stand four candidates on each of the eight regional lists. Um, uh, So it's it's pretty big news. They've not given themselves a lot of time to do this. There's only six weeks into the election. Um, The the candidates have to be uh, registered with returning officers by uh, Wednesday, uh, 4pm. Uh, so they have to find uh, you know, 32. Well, they've got they've got they've got quite a few candidates announced already. They've got six candidates announced already, I think, um, uh, including uh, a number of people who've defected from the SNP. Um, we've got two SNP MPs have already sort of uh, joined forces. Uh, uh, Kenny McCaskill, the former Justice Secretary uh, and MP for East Lothian, and uh, Neil Hanvey the MP for Kirkcaldy and Cowdenbeath. Um, and there's, there's rumours that others may join. Uh, there's, there's also rumours that others have uh, bottled it over the weekend. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because there was there was some talk about uh, Joanna Cherry uh, joining at one point, but that, that seems to have been, those rumours seem to have been scotched. I mean, she, she was very quick to go, no, no, no. Uh, she's taken some time off. She, she announced it just at the, the middle of, of, of last week that she was taking some time off just to, she's to, to deal with illness. Um, and then she, uh, shortly after the launch of, of Alaba, she came back and said, no, no, I was being I was being honest. It is, I am actually ill and I am remaining as the SNP MP for Edinburgh Southwest. So... And what about um, what about the SNP's response to to Kenny McCaskill's defa- defection? I mean, that was there was a particularly withering response from Ian Blackford on that. 
Absolutely, he's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he was. He was pretty, pretty. Uh, um, well, he was. <laughs> he was furious. I think is the, <laughs> the only way to describe it. He, he said, you know, he called Kenny McCaskill an uh, increasing embarrassment. He said it was somewhat of a relief for him to go. Um, he actually called for him to stand down so they could force a, a, a by-election in East Lothian uh, as, as well. It's been interesting because uh, you know, ever since. Blackford's comments. Been a couple of other SNP MPs have come forward and said, "No, let's just you know, let's let's not be nasty. Let's just let's just calm it all down." You know, how damaging do you think this potentially is for the SNP? I mean, Alex Salmond um, made out on Friday that he was doing it for very altruistic reasons to build a, a super majority for independence. But I mean, could this be potentially damaging to to the SNP in the run up to to the elections, or is it the other parties that need to, to need to worry about Mr. Salmond? This is a, a really good question, and it's a question I don't know that we necessarily know the answer to just yet. Um, so, I mean, Alex Salmond said he wants people who vote for his party to vote for the SNP on the constituency. Um, you know, his belief is that if you if you vote for both votes SNP and you're a opponent supporter, then you're, you're you're effectively wasting your second vote. He thinks if you vote, you know, just because of the way the the, the Hon system works, which is you know very crudely, very basically, you know. It gives uh, a percentage of the, the percentage of the votes you get equals percentage of the seats you get in the region. In the list. Um, so he thinks you vote SNP in the constituency and then you, you vote for his party on the list. Then that's how you'll create the, the SNP supermajority. But it's such a, a very high risk strategy because if the SNP then don't get enough votes in the constituency, then they're also not going to get it could like, damage them on, on the list as well. Um, and. I, we, we don't really know what sort of impact it's going to have um, on on the SNP or on the Tories or on Labour or on the Greens. There's lots of theories flying around just now. I think you know we'll probably have to wait until we see the first couple of polls because you know it, I suppose it depends on, on you can you can go well the the Alaba the, the idea of a supermajority the idea of, of voting for Alaba on the list and and the SNP on the constituency you know that that kind of works if the SNP. Uh, clean up in a constituency vote, which the polls have suggested they will do. But now we have this big unknown, this, 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 the creation of this new party coming here. What does that actually mean for the constituency vote? Are we then going to see, you know, um, unionist voters uh, flocking to a, being a bit more strategic, as Douglas Ross has, has called for uh, you know, over the weekend, perhaps even sort of you know, tactical voting, you know? Uh, um, it's, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's a great unknown and we, we, will, we will find out soon enough. And, and what do you think um, Alex Salmond, the, the MSP, would look like? I mean, do you think it's somebody that's uh, that's going to just um, vote with the SNP on all issues and be um, a kind of lone voice in the background? Or is it someone that's going to make life um, even more uncomfortable for Nicola Sturgeon? Oh, I think I think definitely will make life more uncomfortable for Nicola Sturgeon. I, I, I think, you know, um, the, the way that uh, Alaba are positioning themselves, uh, certainly those issues which have been really divisive in the uh, in the SNP so things like the hate crime bill things like the, the gender recognition act reforms you know uh, uh, they're definitely going to take a, a very different position but it seems like given who's joined the party who um, in, in the sense that the, we've had um, the, the, the the SNP women's convener and equalities convener who who definitely represents a certain uh, wing of point of view on on, on, on gender recognition act reforms They've joined Alaba, so we can we can assume from that, and we can assume from the fact that there's a, a women's conference in the next couple of weeks, uh, being led by by some of those people, that we are 
going to see a, a party with very different approach to some of those key issues. Um, so I think that could be, you know, uh, uh, that, that, that sort of sets up some of the tensions, I think. But the other tension will be over independence. What the Alba uh, MSPs will have is, you know, the, the, the other frustration in the SNP over recent years has been over Nicola Sturgeon's push for independence. There are a number of sort of people in the wider yes movement who believe that she should be going faster and, and harder. Um, uh, and they're all going to be with Alba and they're all going to, uh, Alba MPs will be, I think, pushing Nicola Sturgeon if, she, if they don't think she's going fast enough or hard enough on, on, on holding a referendum or, or pushing for independence. And, and where do you think the, the recent controversy around the reports um, uh, that have been published leaves Nicola Sturgeon? I mean, is, is she ultimately damaged by some of this stuff, um, even though she was largely exonerated, or does she emerge from it even stronger? I think, I mean, again, that's a really good question. I, I think, you know, this time last week, uh, uh, genuinely, we were unsure whether or not Nicola Sturgeon would survive the week. Um, but then the Hamilton report came and exonerated her. The, the Holyrood Harassment Inquiry report was was pretty damning about a, a number of things, but, you know, it kind of has been dismissed a little bit because of the of the leaking, and I think we're going to hear a bit more about that from, from, from Alex Cole Hamilton. Um, and we came, you know... Uh, uh, it became easy to dismiss because some of those key votes went down party lines. But then you kind of had the vote of no confidence, uh, which was a massive, I think it's fair to say it was a bit of a disaster for the Tories uh, in, in, in Hollywood last week. You know, they, they, um, uh, so Nicola Sturgeon didn't just survive it, she easily survived it. And, and I think it sort of made her a lot stronger because of it. Uh, and again, it's interesting to see what effect Alaba will have on the, 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 the SNP in that some of those people who've been putting the most pressure on Nicola Sturgeon over things like the GRE, over things like the hate crime bill, over things like her push for independence, well, they're no longer in the SNP. So will that make her position just that little bit stronger? Yeah, maybe it does. Who knows? Well, anyway, some fascinating uh, weeks ahead, uh, Andrew. Thanks very much for that. Um, so now for our interview with uh, Alex Cole Hamilton, um, obviously a member of the committee that we were just referring to. Um, he spoke to Mandy Rhodes, editor of Hollywood's magazine, last week. All right, Alex, I think um, we'll go back to 2016 shortly. But I think um, the most obvious place to start this week is particularly in the chamber when the camera was on um, Patrick Harvey giving something of a speech around the committee that you're involved in and talking about the leaks. The camera kept panning to you, to Jackie and to Margaret Mitchell. What were you thinking at that moment and, and how did you feel? I think I, I obviously resented the innuendo in uh, Patrick Harvey's speech. I mean, clearly there was a a pretty catastrophic leak. Um, I'm not talking about the, the leak of the vote, although that was bad form. I think that there was a betrayal of trust of the complainers who come to speak to us. Um, they didn't have to come to our committee. I'm very glad they did. I think we um, learned an incredible amount from their testimony. And I'd hoped that the sort of protection of their confidentiality was a red line that others wouldn't cross. Um, I, I, I thought it was it diminished Patrick that he sought to weaponize that in the way that he did. Did you leak it? No. Have you then had to question your other committee members about whether they leaked it? 
Um, I, I rang Andy Whiteman. I mean, I was approached for comment about the story by another publication who had it and turned them down immediately. And I immediately rang Andy Whiteman to ask if he um, had the same. Um, he hadn't at that time. But we both agreed that it was it was pretty catastrophic. And this was basically because there had been various leaks and accusations throughout all of this. But this was specifically... At the end, when the two women, the two women complainants at the heart of all of this, came to speak to the committee and a Sunday newspaper had details of what they had said, um, and that was before the report was was put out. How has this whole experience been? It's It's been one of the darkest periods of my time as an MSP. Um, it's been... It, it sucks the oxygen away from everything else. You know, I'm, I, I've never been busier in terms of my case workload, but I still have been attending meetings of the Salmon Inquiry, which have lasted nine hours, you know, and, and with not a great deal to show for it at the end of those nine hours with the same kind of um, brick walls and obfuscation and difficulty that we face throughout the inquiry. Um, it hasn't been pleasant at all. I mean, it's a, a job we were tasked to do. I, I don't, had I known what I know now, I, I wouldn't, I would have asked somebody else to be assigned, to be, to be honest, because it, it's been grim, frankly, grim. I mean, at the beginning, I can remember just chatting to you about you starting this work and you were actually excited by it. You thought it would be a really interesting piece of work to do and vitally important. Yes, I think I think that's right. I mean, of course, you know, the, the, you're a young MSP, you're given a high profile role um, on a high profile inquiry, and, and you hope for the best. But I was disappointed at every turn. I, I've seen the worst of government and of parliament and party politics. Um, drawing this out unnecessarily over two years, which it has been, um, at, to the cost only of, of the complainers who must have hated every single minute of this. I mean, was it inevitable that it was going to be like this, that it was going to become partisan when you've got party political people sitting on a committee and you've got a former first minister and a current first minister at the heart of it? Yes, I, I'm, it's a matter of public record that I've said subsequently that this should never have been a parliamentary inquiry. That this should have been a judge-led inquiry, not least because of the legal sort of restrictions that we faced, which prevented us from getting to the truth on some very key issues. Um, but also, yeah, I, I mean, very early on, I could see the, the things dividing on party lines. The, the SNP, I think, um, I, I suppose, understandably, wanted to protect the government and, and not necessarily allow us to go the places we needed to go. Um, but I think also one of the unfortunate consequences of the government delay in giving us the evidence we needed, Salmon's delay in giving us the evidence we needed, is that we have concluded hard up against a general election. And in the six months before a general election, um, well, politicians go a bit do-lally, don't they? And, uh, and things, I think, become unreasonably charged. And, and that certainly happened to a degree in this. I, I mean, I've tried to walk a straight line on this, but, um, but yeah, it's not been great particularly around the leak about what the women said. I mean, I, I think you you and I, when we talked at the beginning, before the, the actual inquiry had got underway, I felt quite strongly that the women were almost immaterial. That sounds very hard, but I just meant this was about how the government handled this. In the end, it was the women's testimony that I think probably changed some views. Is that fair oh. to say? 
Absolutely, absolutely. The description of the culture that we had, and I, I won't go into details because I still absolutely believe in protecting what they told us, but the description of culture, of how things were on the fifth floor of St Andrew's house um, during that period was horrific. Um, and it, it left us in in this, well, it changed the, the, the prism through which we were seeing everything. That Now it wasn't just the odd occasional drunken misdemeanor there was a culture of demeaning people um diminishing them making them feel rubbish and all because of power and this was like the exercise of a, a power across a spectrum and the very worst of that spectrum um was played out in the allegations that that which salmon saw off in court uh, but it, it but it goes right back to sort of basic bullying and and terrible terrible um behaviours, which I I don't think we properly understood the scale of until they came to speak to us. Was that down to one man, though? Um, I think it's a culture of, uh, it was a permissive culture where um, a blind eye was turned and and the complainers said that themselves. Um, There was a culture of silence. I, I suppose there was an anxiety about upsetting the political project of the day, which at the time was the independence referendum. Um, so there was a complicit role that others played. I, I don't think any other individuals were named or, or hinted at as being um, the perpetrators of those behaviours. Um, but I don't think it was necessarily limited to one one individual. Is there a disconnect for you, Alex, having sitting sat through all the evidence from civil servants from the top down and the political side of things, that other people didn't talk about a culture of bullying. I didn't hear the PAMSEC or the civil service. We did hear it from the trade union rep, however. Well, I, I tried to draw that out in the early days of the inquiry, if you remember, um, and referred, and got people to admit to what I call the sort of water cooler chat about bad behaviour. Um, they were quite explicit in saying that it wasn't sexualised, but, but I think there was a widespread scuttlebutt um, of things of in a, inappropriate, low-level, aggressive behaviour, perhaps on, on the part of the former first minister, um, and I, I, I just I think in retrospect, looking at it, following that testimony that we heard last week from the women, um, it's probably part of that that feeling that people had become inured to it, that it would become so commonplace, and the blind eye had been turned for so long, it was a muscle memory attached to it, and people didn't think what they were seeing was in any way um, appalling or or needed challenged. I mean, at the end of the day, your report was actually the the damning report. I think a lot of people expected James Hamilton's, which was looking at the ministerial code and whether that had been breached or not, would be the thing that would be the turning point. But actually, it was yours. And the difference between whether he felt she'd breached, the First Minister had breached the ministerial code and whether you felt she'd breached the ministerial code were quite at odds with each other, apart from the fact that James Hamilton kind of still made it into a... It was still subjective. Yeah. I, I think we were all quite surprised by that because the, we've been saying for months that, um, that there was suggestion, there was evidence potentially that the First Minister had misled Parliament. Um, James Hamilton, we expected, would offer a ruling on whether she had or she hadn't. And he came back with a slightly um, 
well, uncertain conclusion that it's up to Parliament to decide whether it was misled, or we had, and and we believe we were. But it's, I mean, he nevertheless gave her a clean bill of health as far as the actual code went. So I think we're in a bit of a, a grey area territory here. In a normal world, do you think actually people really care whether the First Minister remembered or didn't remember a particular meeting um, and whether that would have been enough for her to resign her post? I mean, for you, having gone now into all the detail, having heard from the woman, do you think that we're looking sometimes at the wrong issue here about whether somebody should resign from a job or not? Well, the rules are the rules, and either we have standards in politics or we don't in terms of the um, the codes of conduct. And uh, I say that in the knowledge that that members of my committee have broken that code of conduct in terms of MSPs, but but for ministers as well. And and I think standards matter, and they should matter, and we should all aspire to it, regardless of what's gone on. Um, in terms of the uh, whether um, people would find the First Minister's recollection of problem. No, I mean, people are human and people forget things, and I understand that. Um, but what I think uh, the public would have a problem with is the credibility of that being the reason that the First Minister didn't relay the, the fact of the meeting on the 29th or what she told the First Minister, uh, the former First Minister in her home on the 2nd of April. Um, if she, Chalking up those huge seismic and devastating meetings to an absence of memory from somebody who is regarded as one of the most precise politicians in the country she's known for her precision and i i think that people that jars with people that jars against everything they know about nicola sturgeon is she diminished in your eyes That's a really interesting question i mean i i actually have a lot of respect for the first minister i have a lot of respect for um for the work she does and how hard she works. Now, I would make very different decisions than she does, and and her politics will never be my politics. But nevertheless, I have a lot of respect for her. Um, I'm not sure I detect any sort of um, overt, malicious attempt to pervert the course of justice as regards our inquiry or um, nefarious attempts to cover things up or or conspire against Mr. Salmon. What I think... I, a sense has happened is um, that the First Minister perhaps tried to explain away what was perhaps a, a completely human response. You have your best friend and mentor of 30 years come to tell you this terrible thing. Your initial reaction is probably quite a human one, which is, well, what can I do to help? Because this is your pal. Um, I think that she perhaps realised or felt that she couldn't tell that full story um, because it would be harder to explain. So she perhaps f- slightly fudged the truth on that um, and then had to double down on it. And and I think she she tied herself in, knot, herself in knots there. I don't think it was particularly um, Machiavellian or malicious, but I, I, I do think she got herself into trouble. So has it diminished her in my sight? Um, well, the, the whole episode has diminished the government in my sight. And I think subsequently, you know, we didn't hear a lot about the women, the complainers at the heart of this, when she um, got the clean bill of health, as it was from James Hamilton. Um, so so I, I felt that that diminished just slightly. I mean, others have called it um, quite grotesque, actually, that there was almost a recruitment drive around the fact that she was cleared. I, how did you feel about that? Yeah, it did feel that that um, getting past the Hamilton inquiry in particular was just a staging post onto the election. Um, and she could um, walk away from it 
and uh, feel vindicated, although I don't think she has been vindicated. Um, and, it, and it struck me, it reminded me of that quote, I think that's in our report about um, the support that was offered to the women at the heart of this, who um, after the judicial review, after the concession, they, they report feeling like they were quote unquote dropped by the government, no, not followed up in any way. Um, and and I think that, you know, the, the First Minister's reaction, the reaction of the high-ranking members of the SNP this week following James Hamilton's report, and I say it's a clean bill of health, it isn't a particularly clean bill of health, but it, it allows her to continue. Um, I, I think that speaks to that um, feeling of being dropped and that the women don't matter to them anymore. Yeah, they felt like they were left at sea, they said. I thought that was yeah. chilling. Yeah. In terms of the the credibility of the committee. I mean, there are lots of, clearly we've all been listening to lots of conspiracy theories throughout all of this. But one is, it was very quick to say that you or Murdo or Jackie were to blame for leaking anything from the committee. Isn't it more credible that it was SNP members that basically wanted to undermine the credibility of a committee that was about to say that the First Minister, um, her position wasn't great? Well, that's certainly an interesting theory. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm really not going to speculate on who leaked it. I mean, the, the, that argument perhaps holds water. I mean, the, the SNP hated our committee. They hated our work and they were trying to stop it all the time or, or bring it to a, a premature conclusion. Whether they go so far as to undermine it by burning the women at the heart of this again, you know, I, I like to think that's even beyond them, but it's not beyond somebody. Somebody must have done it. And so that's, I mean, that story potentially holds water, but do you know what? I, I'm not sure we'll ever know. I support the idea of being an inquiry, but a lot of these stories are passed by word of mouth via phone call. So it's it's going to be quite difficult to ever get to the bottom of it. But you, you could be right. I'd be horrified if you were. But, you know, we, we live in a dark political climate at the moment. How are relationships between you and your other committee members? Um, well, I, I, Jackie and I um, have actually become very firm friends during all of this, and I've learned a lot from her in the process. And we actually still speak most days just to shoot the breeze because we're all both in marginal seats facing SNP challenges, so we've got a lot on. Murdo and I always have a lot of time for each other. Andy Whiteman has been um, a breath of fresh air. He's been lovely and um uh, really great to get to know and I think we've kind of propped each other up from time to time when things have got pretty salty or we, the committee's coming under fire um, you know we, we share similar concerns about what's happened around the, the leaks so so the, the opposition members I think all get on well I mean I have a lot of respect for Linda I think um, she actually did quite a good job of chairing the committee I mean there were times when I think she overreached but um but we we communicated that to her, and I I do think she 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 improved on that. Alistair Allen is a decent guy, um, and and I you know bought him a cup of tea in the cafeteria a couple of weeks ago. And we had a chat, so yeah, I, I mean, I I I do believe in the sort of green room philosophy of politics that you you can leave it at the door, you can put it aside and just have a human conversation with people. So I don't think there's been irreparable damage done. You think you'd all still have a cup of tea now, do you? Yes. Well, I don't know if they'd have a cup of tea with me, but I'd be happy to have a cup of tea with them. And maybe a good thing at Maureen what's standing down anyway. <laughs> I think Maureen, Maureen 
uh, my relationship was was um, I think we challenged each other quite a lot on the committee. I think she she miss uh, misrepresented our motivation in this. I think she just thought it was all about tagging the government and we didn't care about the women. Whereas actually it was the reverse. I, I you know I was quite happy to give the government a completely clean bill of health if we did right by the women. But um, but I don't think either of those things happened. I mean, you also got criticism from Rape Crisis Scotland, which must have been pretty hard. Well, the committee did. I, I mean, they. Yeah, sorry, they, I meant the committee. Singled me out in in particular. Yeah, it was. It was really hard to hear, and I I just think it's it spoke to a, a deeper anxiety I had that the longer we went on and the more stones we uncovered, the harder it was for the women at the heart of this. And it was it was lovely to to see them. I mean, it was very hard to hear what they had to tell us when they came to see us. They came for three and a half hours. It was a good session. Um, but they, they did it with a real strength and a real grace that I think I found very reassuring that, that actually, you know, they were, they'd survived this. They were getting on with their lives. They wanted to tell their story. They weren't going to be silenced. And um, yeah, I have a huge amount of respect for that. It's interesting as you're talking about it. I mean, you've mentioned a, a number of times that you got a sense of something or the more stones that you lifted up and uncovered things. It still feels like you you may feel that you haven't answered all the questions. I actually think we got a lot further than I thought we would. Um, I think if you'd asked me two months ago um, whether I would have answers to certain questions, like, like for example... Salmon's suggestion of this massive conspiracy involving government, Crown Office, Lord Advocate, um, high-ranking members of the SNP. I, I just said, I don't think we're going to come to a view on that because I just never thought we'd get access to the evidence he was talking about um, because we tried and failed a number of occasions. But we just tried a different way and we actually suddenly we got to it all and we were able to say, well, I can see why it upset him, but it's not evidence of a conspiracy it's just people supporting each other and um, helping the police with their inquiries and and that might be hard for him our committee's view may be hard for him to to accept but you know we've no skin in this game it's not i have no interest in protecting high-ranking members of the smp but i do have an interest in the truth and the truth is quite clear that there just wasn't this smoking gun that he was suggesting that there was in terms of the civil servants that you had to speak to, I mean, there's been a lot of commentary, uh, not least by me, actually, <laughs> about about just how unedifying some of that was. Seeing very senior civil servants um, getting things wrong, having to come back, um, just really not giving a good account of themselves. What's that insight given you? Well, it certainly gave us an insight, I think, a real-time insight into what must have happened in the latter days of the judicial review and that um glacial discovery of evidence that um, that ultimately saw the senior government senior counsel having to go to the court um, on numerous occasions and apologize for the slow um, and incomplete discovery of evidence it, it was it was like history repeating really as as they came to our committee now I understand that it would be very intimidating for them I have a bit of compassion towards that um you know they uh, they had some training and um you know, I can they had fifty thousand pounds worth of training, Alex. Um, I, I think I, I still scratch my head as to to well, clearly we're in the wrong business, Mandy. I think if we can get fifty thousand pounds to train civil servants to come and not properly answer questions, then uh, we should be doing that. Um, yeah, I, I, it was really tough um, because it, we it meant we had to keep bringing them back 
And again, you know, it, it tapped into that low level anxiety I had about the amount of time this was taking, the amount of stuff we were having to drag out of people. And ultimately what that was doing to the two complainers and, and the wider group of complainers at the heart of this. No one has resigned, Alex. Is that a problem for you? I see that. Well, I think it's, um, it, it, what, what message does it say? What, sorry, what message does it send to, um, to people in any walks of life, particularly those who might be in big organisations where they're suffering harassment from powerful people, to say, um, if I come forward, nobody's going to help me, nobody's going to protect me, and if it goes badly wrong, nobody's going to take a responsibility for it. I just don't think that's right. I mean, there, there are so many serious, in fact, catastrophic errors of judgment, bad decisions, where, um, you know, in any other organisation, those who'd taken those decisions w- would be expected to resign. In fact, would have been expected to resign two years ago. Um, I, I can't understand where why that is and maybe it's because there is this belief that accountability was diffused across so many people that it's just not enough for any one person to go it's just it's it doesn't reflect real life uh, <laughs> i think for a lot of people I, I think i learned a lot that the civil service does not reflect real life if i learned anything from this this sorry business i think the other thing is that people got very concerned about was that about the separation of powers and um, the worry that some of our institutions are just almost captured. I mean, is that something that you've become concerned about as this has gone on? Yeah, and no. Yes, I mean, I think there's an element of that, that um, the separation of government and party becomes very blurred at certain points. And we, I think, really need to heed that and and be better at um, extracting that and, and separating that. Um, I think that we were suggested that it was a much darker um, sort of muddle and uh, crossover of government party and, and in wider institutions by Mr. Salmond. He tried to suggest that the Crown agent was actively helping the First Minister, was actively um, supporting the SNP by not giving us what we needed because of the damage it might do. Um, but I think we successfully scotched that and, and got to the bottom of all of that and said, no, it's not true. And actually, I do, I feel bad. And it's an opportunity for me to put on record that that I think the reputation of, of several decent people was unfairly maligned in this. And uh, I am sorry for that. It wasn't it wasn't our fault. We were told to look at this evidence. We looked at it and I hope that we vindicated them. But but yeah, I think when it comes to the civil service and the role particularly of special advisors who are these who are civil servants, but they are political appointments, um that that is very problematic. And I think um a wider public discussion needs to happen about that role, those roles in particular. For you, is it now finished business, do you think, or is this going to continue in your head and your thinking? I hope so. I've lost sleep over this, Mandy. I, I've told you that before. I mean, the weight of it um, has, has caused me many sleepless nights. A, a lot of it is just because there was so much evidence to get across and you find little nuggets appearing in your mind at three in the morning and you think, oh, I should ask so-and-so about that. Um, so, so yeah, I still, it still comes back to me. I, I've stopped really giving press comment on it because there's still aftershocks of the You know revelation. I'm a journalist. I know you're a journalist. <laughs> and I, I will, I, I'm quite happy to do these these pieces in the round, but when, when it's like little 
sort of tittle-tattle news stories about oh we've, we've had this revelation about this special advisor relating to salmon's what are you going to say i'm just leaving it for now because i i think that people have unfairly um accused myself and the other opposition members of trying to grandstand on this we were there to do a job you know um of course we offered a commentary and and rightly or wrongly but we're politicians we don't take a vow of silence when we join a committee like that um, so no, I am trying to to step away from it. I've got a, an election to win and leaflets to deliver, so <laughs> I am stepping away. And we'll come to that. I was just going to say one of the things I, I interviewed um, the presiding officer a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the effect this has had on the parliament. And it, I suppose that's about also the separation of powers and the difference between government and parliament. And I felt there was a lot of false narrative or, or unfair narrative about the parliament not being a safe place to work. I mean, I work there, you work there. We've all gone through the Me Too issues. Do you feel that the parliament itself was put wrongly under the spotlight around this? I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, the parliament is is a safe place to work. And I, I, I think that we have, we're blessed with a great sort of staff team that support parliamentarians and have got processes in there which are very robust um i think in terms of the wider sort of credibility of parliament whether our work the committee's work is negatively impacted on that it's not helped by polemic attacks of the likes of patrick harvey who didn't talk about grandstanding that was grandstanding um but actually i refer you to people like tom gordon who has no political allegiance but when he reviewed it, said anyone saying that a few leaks have damaged the credibility of this committee need to read this substantial report. It is a, a good and substantial piece of work. So, um, and that that's in large part down, you know, to our amazing clerking team as well to pull that together. But um, I, I, I think not. I think that we had, in, when the dust settles, our committee's work will have shone a light into the deficiencies of Parliament and it will only be improved because of that. We'll say, you know, we've asked some searching questions that the next parliament, next government needs to answer. Should the Lord Advocate be both the government's lawyer and the chief prosecutor? Or um, should the, the legislature, the parliament, have stronger powers to compel government to action, like on the legal advice? So I, I think the parliament will become improved as a result. Do you, do you have sympathy with what David Davis said about there being more powers necessary for the parliament? The, the committee structure should perhaps have more powers and privilege should be extended. De- definitely. Well, I'm, I'm not sure about privilege. Um, you know, it, it, the irony of somebody who's standing up in the House of Commons and potentially outing complainers um, is not necessarily a, a, an advertorial for why we need that power in Scotland. Um, but I think on the committees, yes. And, and I think, you know, things like directly elected committee heads where it, it's important that they are then accountable and, and subject to deselection if they become too partisan. I mean, Scotland is a unicameral legislature. You know, we don't have a revising chamber like the House of Lords. It's, it was meant to be that the committee structure was meant to be this dispassionate, neutral revising chamber. But we saw from the SNP majority administration of 2007 onwards, um, that that was rather 2011 onwards, that that, that didn't work um, and they were just rubber stamping government policy. So I, I do think we need to reform the committee structure um, and, and perhaps election of committee chairs as part of that. Do you think Scotland has seen the last of the whole, what Nicola Sturgeon calls the salmon saga? 
if ever I've been good, I hope so. My goodness, this if, 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 this is this is a psychodrama. I mean, you know, Scotland is exhausted. We have just been through Brexit and a global pandemic. We're still in the global pandemic. We need a period of calm and stability where the the psychodrama of Sam Sturgeon and all the the bit part players around them can be put to bed. I mean. I think people have moved on or want to move on, but I, I fear this may have some twists and in, in turns to come. So moving on, <laughs> um, when you were elected five years ago, I mean, technically you are still an MSP, but but you're fighting um, for your seat now. Mm-hmm. When you were elected in 2016, we've just ended the fifth session. Did you really think this is how <laughs> it would end up? No, no. And in a way, it's a sad way to end. Um because it, it was so dark and grim and actually it is not typical of the rest of my five years. I've had the best time of my life. I love it. Nothing about my job disappoints me in any way. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was hard work, the salmon stuff. It was, it was time consuming. It was laborious. It drew quite a lot of criticism, some of it really unfair, but but you know it was a job and and you sign up for this role and you get appointed to stuff you've got to do it and it all it's all just part of the, the mix and yeah I've had a great time Mandy I, I love my job I I passionately love it and I hope we get to keep doing it um but yeah so it was a sour note to end on but it it doesn't in any way take away from the satisfaction that I've had and enjoyed over the last five years. Was it, I mean I've known you for a very long time Alex but you know yeah. in, in other guises but. Was this in particular a kind of maybe bruising, but a maturing episode? Oh, without question, without question. I mean, firstly, it made me realise how serious the the MSP code of conduct is. It's not just a set of helpful hints. I mean, it is it, it underscores you know the probity and the importance of decency in in public life. And and I will live the rest of my political career to its latter, but. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, also, I think it, it made me realise that, that you know, it, it's easy to launch attacks on the government on Twitter and things like that. But there are times when it's not necessarily appropriate to do so. I, I've learned that now. Um, and, you know, I've never passed judgment over the outcome of our inquiry. And I certainly never impugned the integrity of the women at the heart of this. But there were periods in the in the committee's work where I think maybe I should have just stayed quiet on social media because it does draw draw out a lot of negative attention. But yeah, so I've learned a lot, definitely. And I've learned a lot about processing complex information, which will serve me well. In the five years, have you made um, unexpected friends? Definitely. Do you know what? I mean, I talked about the green room mentality before. Um, and actually... Some of my best friends are actually members of other parties. You know, I've got like Anas Sarwar and I are just great friends. And I'm so pleased and proud of him for being elected leader of the Labour Party. Ollie Mundell in the Tories, great guy. Donald Cameron, um, absolutely fantastic. You know, and a huge number of uh, Kate Forbes as well in, in the SNP. So right across the political spectrum, I've got people that were I to lose my seat on May the 6th, I know that I would be friends with them for life. Um and that's so incredibly heartwarming. 
that said, you know, there's probably five percent of MSPs that just can't leave it at the door. That will all, that are always ready for battle, and even if you're in the bar with them, we'll go toe to toe with you on some ridiculous policy issue. Uh, but yeah, in the main, you know, I think our politics is very healthy, and and people we're too small a parliament to have animosity. It exists, but but it's in the minority. That's what I was going to ask you, actually. Just uh, when we get out of all of this, what's going to be a good night in Margot's? <laughs> um, oh, it, what, what do you mean by what's going to be a good night? It is going to be. A good who, who's going to be in the room with you, having a good old oh, drink? Definitely. Um, so yeah, well, I've just la- named four of them: so Kate Forbes and and Oliver Mandel, Don Cameron, Anas, um, Andy Whiteman. I hope he makes it back. I do actually. Oh, and Mandy. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were just talking about MSPs. Yeah, Mandy. Mandy I like Rose. a drink. <laughs> <laughs> you like a drink. So yeah, so there's a huge range of um, MSPs that I, you know, will have friends for life and journalists. And what are you looking forward to? You know, let's look forward. You've been elected again. You're back in. What are you looking forward to? Um, not being the most junior member of the least popular party in the country is is what I would say. I think that it feels for once that we're actually entering this election campaign with a wind at our backs. So I think we've got real potential for growth. Um, well, you, you can never say anything in Scottish politics. It's a very unpredictable setup. But um, I, I just want to have a bit more balance in the parliament. I, I think it's very likely the SNP will win. I think whether they get a majority is um, far less likely. Um, and and that's only a good thing because I think then hopefully that will shelve the prospect of another independence referendum, which is, I, I think, really needed because the country needs to heal. We need to put the recovery first. Um, and And when you've got a kind of hung parliament situation, um, in a plurality of parties like we have, then people have to are forced to make deals, and I like that. I like the consensus side of this. I mean, we, um, we as you know, we did a survey uh, with the MSPs about threats that they'd received over the, the peace, and it was pretty horrific. I mean, I, and, and for me as well, I think we've all felt this real toxic atmosphere, which the first minister described, I guess, the other day. Do you think we can get past all of this? get back to some joy yes uh, absolutely i mean this is not inevitably our future you know we are still i I think for as long as the constitutional issue is live we will forever be at each other's throats um and that's metaphorically but in some cases that's literally because i think both sides of the uk independence divide have wilder outriders who are unpredictable and at times dangerous um and i just think we need to take the heat out of this. We need to bring down the temperature. Um, it's not like we're going to be short of things to do in the next parliament in terms of social policy. Um, and I, I you know, for, hope with every fibre of my being that that is all we're focused on and that um, I hope, and, and this isn't party political, but I hope the SNP don't win a majority because I think that will be a signal that this country wants us to move on, for, for now anyway, and, and deal with the issues that matter. And I guess finally, you know, for women looking at all of this and women are reluctant enough to get involved in public life, what would you say to women that are worried about, well, what is the culture like? What is it going to be like for me? Um, please step up. Don't don't let. Um, yeah, we need you. Your voice is really important. If, if you think that something needs to change, then be part of the change. 
Um, I, I think that it's overstated the the sort of mis- idea of misogynist culture or or whatever. It says, it says a man that was caught mouthing swear words at a female MSP, which I apologise for absolutely, but it had nothing to do with Marie Todd being female. Um, it was uh, my emotions getting the better of me. But we are uh, by and large a friendly and welcoming parliament and I, I go back to the green room you know that that exists most of the time in most venues you only actually see the sort of five or ten minutes each week where we come to blows but a lot of that is political theater um and i think that you know one of the silver linings of covid is that we're going to embrace the hybrid technology which will make us more family friendly as well so so brick by brick we are removing those obstacles to um female uh, candidates and, and activists who want to become uh, parliamentarians and and please you know step up if not you who I might warn you against a t- campaigning t-shirt that says women we need you <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that in, in the spirit of <laughs> Alex thanks very much thank you Mandy As someone much greater than I said, a week is a very long time in politics. And believe me, I know Scottish politics is never boring. So don't leave it long. Make sure you come back and join us on Politically Speaking. And remember that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And do tell your friends because everybody has an interest in politics. 